Well, I don't know uh, if you remember the snake in the old Jungle Book animated film, Carr, I think his name was. Uh, and he was there trying to get Mowgli to trust in him with his eyes making those spirals and his soothing voice, trust in me, he said. And uh, in many ways, that's the message of King Sennacherib of Assyria to Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem in our passage in Isaiah this morning, that we've just heard the story told there by Lizzie, uh, that you don't really have any choice. We've got you surrounded. Who are you going to trust in now? Uh, and if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that it picks up on one of Isaiah's big, th big themes, that question for all of us, when push comes to shove, who are we going to trust? For Hezekiah, and for us in fact, that's not primarily a religious question. Uh, it's not just about uh, uh, what songs are you going to sing when you come together for worship? What are the words you're going to say on a Sunday? It's about who are you going to depend on when your city is surrounded by an army? Or in our cases, who are we going to lean on when we're at work tomorrow, or at school, or at home, or going to a hospital appointment? or whatever it might be that we are facing in the coming week. Uh, it's so encouraging to hear at the beginning of our service today the testimonies of all those members of the church family that one of the things that has struck them the most over the past year is that we really can trust in Jesus. So Isaiah, chapters 36 to 39 are a kind of turning point in the book uh, as it moves from an emphasis on the warnings of God's judgment for his people who reject him in the first half. Uh, from chapter 40 onwards, the focus will very much be on God's promise of rescue. And here at this hinge point in these chapters, they look a little bit different. Uh, they're, they're telling a story rather than being poetry, for example. We get this little interlude about King Hezekiah and what happens to him and the people of Jerusalem. Uh, this week, we've got chapters 36 and 37. It's a very long passage. We're not going to read the whole thing but do keep it open in front of you. And it's a drama in three acts. Uh, chapter 36 is all about threats, uh, the threat of this Assyrian army besieging the city. The first half of chapter 37 is all about prayer and how Hezekiah responds to the threat. And then the second half of chapter 37 is all about rescue, God's rescue in response to Hezekiah's prayer. Uh, before we dive into that middle section, which is the key section, in more depth, uh, it's worth just thinking about a bit more about what, what is said and what happens in chapter 36, and particularly to realize that most of Isaiah 36 is basically Assyrian propaganda. Uh, you've got this character, the field commander of their army, and he is there. He's been sent to Jerusalem to address King Hezekiah and the people of the city, and he says to them, basically, we've got you. You've got no choice. You need to make peace with us or you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, he makes two speeches. The first is in Isaiah 36, 4 to 10. It's a speech to three of the high officials uh, of Jerusalem who Hezekiah has sent down to meet him. They meet by the aqueduct, which in itself is a kind of threat uh, that they can turn off the water supply at any time. And he says to them, look, who are you going to trust? Egypt can't help you. You've learned that. The Lord won't help you, it seems. You can't help yourselves. You don't even have any horses. You need to trust me. And then his second speech is bellow to all the people up on the city walls. 
Uh, when I read this bit, I, I imagine that bit in The Lord of the Rings where you've got that huge uh, orc army and their commander is at the front of the hordes just yelling threats and abuse at the people of the city they're about to unleash all their, their violence and their rage upon. Um, it's quite uh, gritty and real stuff, isn't it? He says to them, you're going to be eating your own excrement. You're going to be drinking your own urine there in verse 12. He wants to frighten them and make them give in. His message is make peace with me. And he even promises the kinds of things that the Lord has promised his people. If you look at verse 16, promises of security and comfort and plenty to eat, although it comes with the twist that it will involve forced migration out of their own land. So as we reflect this morning, we're going to reflect for a few minutes on Hezekiah's response to this awful situation. Uh, we do so with circumstances that thankfully are nothing like the ones that he faced. But it's worth noting that the message of that field commander is very often what the world says to the church, what the world says to God's people. Make peace with me. Stop trusting the Lord. Don't worry about doing what he says. Why make it hard for yourselves? Look, if you will just go with the flow, be like everybody else. If you'll do what I want, then all the things you need, uh, popularity, pleasure, success, it can all be yours. Life will be so much easier for you if you will just trust in me. So what do we do? The people in the city must have felt demoralized, mustn't they? Dejected. But we're told in verse 21, they remained silent and said nothing because the king had commanded them, do not answer him. And this is where King Hezekiah gets things right. He's a good king, doesn't always get it right, but what he does here is a, a good lesson for us as he turns to the Lord for help. Well, Isaiah chapter 37, as we heard there, is the tale of two kings who go into the temples of their gods to worship. In verse 14, King Hezekiah goes into the temple of the Lord to pray and finds rescue and help. And right at the end there, in verse 38, King Sennacherib of Assyria goes into the temple of his god Nisroch, where he is murdered by two of his sons. Two kings, two temples, two gods. And that question, which one would you trust? It's been really great this term, hasn't it, to be uh, working through the prayer course together, as many of us have been in our small groups. And I think that reminder of our need of prayer and the gift of prayer has been such an important thing for us in this particular season. And in fact, some of the lessons that we've been learning as we've been thinking through and praying through those things together, uh, we see again here in the life of King Hezekiah. And there are some really good reminders for us about the privilege that we have of prayer and about how we go about it. Uh, chapter 36 and chapter 37, if you remember I said a moment ago, Act 1 in 36 was all about the threat of Assyria as it besieged Jerusalem. But Act 2 is about prayer. And we're going to home in on verses 14 to 20, which are right at the heart of this passage. Uh, by this time, the Assyrian king uh, has sent a message. He's away fighting on another front, but he sent this threatening letter to Hezekiah, basically to say, don't think I'm not coming for you. Uh, don't go and do anything stupid. Verse 10 gives us a flavor. He says, do not let the God you depend on 
deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. He's saying, look, Hezekiah, this siege is only going to end when you surrender. Actually, he's right. The question is, who is it that Hezekiah will surrender to? Well, Hezekiah's response in verses 14 to 20 is to turn to the Lord in prayer. Uh, It's exactly the right thing for him to do. But there are some particular things here about how Hezekiah prays, which are really useful for us to reflect on. As he goes and prays with empty hands to the God he knows and for the glory of the Lord. Uh, First of all, notice how he goes empty-handed seeking the Lord's help. Hezekiah is all too aware of his weakness and his need. Verse 14, Hezekiah receives the letter and he reads it. Then he goes up to the temple of the Lord and he spreads it out before the Lord and he prays. Very simple approach, isn't it? Faced with troubles which are overwhelming, uh, all he does is go essentially and say, Lord, here it is. I don't know what to do about it. I can't deal with this. I'm out of resources. I need your help. We all need to be people who admit that we are weak, that we are helpless, that we cannot do it. Uh, And that often goes against the grain, doesn't it? Um, Often we we pray as though we can almost manage by ourselves. We just need God's help with that last little bit, with the thing which we can't quite do. A bit of assistance. This is how I need you to act, Lord. But that's not weak prayer. That's strong prayer uh, with just a little bit of weakness tacked on at the end. Um, I was at a conference with a bunch of church leaders earlier on this week, on Zoom, of course, like everything else at the moment, uh, where we were challenged about this. And the speaker said to us all, uh, I know you all want to come across as strong leaders who achieve excellent things in your churches. You need to realize that what your churches need most of all is a leader who admits that they are weak and that they are relying on a God who is strong, clinging to a strong saviour. First and foremost, we need to be people of prayer. And that is true whether we're in leadership in any form within the church. In fact, it's true for all of us as Christian believers. We need to stop thinking we can sort our lives out with just a little bit of help. And we need to come and spread out what is happening before the Lord and say, Lord, Will you be at work in this place? That's Hezekiah, leaning on God's strength, spreading out this letter in the temple. What do you need to spread out before the Lord this week? What is it in your life that you know that you cannot deal with? As a church, what do we need to spread out before the Lord in prayer uh, to continue to spread out before him. We've got some big challenges ahead of us, some quite big projects uh, on the go or on the horizon. And we need to be very careful that we are not seeking to achieve them in our own strength, but coming to the Lord in prayer, the God who is strong. Uh, Then the second thing that Hezekiah uh, models for us here is praying to the God who he knows. Uh, He's in a relationship with him. It's not just some distant God somewhere up there in the heavens. And so Hezekiah doesn't just sit in his room and say a prayer. First of all, he goes to the temple because he knows that is where God dwells. And there he prays to the Lord by name. Verse 15, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. I think this is really important. 
Because Hezekiah is not just praying, as I said, to, to, to any god. He's not just uh, trusting that there is a deity out there who can help him, even if he doesn't know him very well. He's praying to the Lord who loves his people. They know his name because he's told them. They know his character because he's showed them. And so Hezekiah comes to him as the God he knows. Uh, he starts by addressing him in ways that acknowledge who he is. Verse 16, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. I imagine him in the temple there facing the place where the, the cherubim uh, are there uh, with the Ark of the Covenant. Hezekiah describes him as the God who rules, the God who's created all things. Down in verse 20, he calls him our God. Not just any God, but the God with whom we have a relationship. Uh, sometimes I hear people starting prayers by just praying God. Uh, God, please help us. God, please would you bless our nation or whatever it might be. It's not wrong to do that, of course. But it just feels a little bit thin, I suppose. If you're my friend, I don't just call you person or human. Uh, if you're in my family, uh, I might call you mum or dad or my love or my sweetheart. If you're my friend, I might have a nickname for you. All of those things express something about our relationship. When we pray, we're not just praying to a God who we believe is there but is distant and we don't really know. We're coming to the God who has revealed himself to us and has called us to be his people. We're in relationship with him. And of course, as those who have come to know Jesus for ourselves, we can go a step further than Hezekiah, can't we? He's taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. As Paul expresses it, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Hezekiah comes to pray to God, to the God he knows. And that is a privilege that we have too. And we should not be afraid, we should not be reluctant to make use of that relationship to develop it and to, uh, and to express it as we come to God in prayer. And then finally, what's the thrust of his prayer? What's the basis for what he asks? Well, he's praying for God's glory, for the Lord to be glorified. Um, it, a situation where Hezekiah doesn't know what to do. He knows he needs help. He can't sort it out for himself. He knows the Assyrians have no interest in doing what is right or what is just. And so he prays, Lord, deliver us. Verse 20, so that the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, the only God. And that is the right motivation whenever we come to pray. Uh, whether we're praying for something at church or for a situation at home or at work or whatever it is, of course, it's always tempting to bring our own ideas and ask God to basically rubber stamp them, isn't it? Here's what I need, Lord. Please do it this way. Sometimes in his grace, that is what he does. But of course, we're praying to the God of heaven and earth who knows all things, uh, who is all about love and rescue. And so even when we can't see the wood for the trees, or maybe we think we can and, and we're just not getting it very clear, what we really need to seek is for him to be glorified as he answers our prayers in our lives and in our church so that the world might think Jesus is just amazing, isn't he? And there's a great freedom in knowing whatever we're praying for, whether we're praying for healing or for help, for our country, for our family, for our friends, for the hub, 
whatever it might be, for decisions we have to make in knowing that our Father will hear and will answer. His job is not just to sort out our plans, it's to display his glory, which brings hope and deliverance not just to us, but to the whole world. Well, the rest of chapter 37 is all about what God does. Uh, it's Act 3, if you like, of the story. And the theme is rescue. It involves his judgment on Assyria and their king in their arrogance. And it involves his rescue of not just Hezekiah, but all the people of the city, culminating in that miracle of judgment in verse 36 and in the downfall of Sennacherib in verse 38. But as we close, it hinges on this. Verse 21. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, this is what the Lord says against him. Because you have prayed to me. And so once again, the reminder to us, and I think we need it again and again, don't we? The reminder to be people of prayer, a bit like Hezekiah, people who spread out our lives before the Lord, who come to him as our Father who knows us and loves us, to pray that he would be glorified and the world would see his great rescue in his Son, Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray together now. Our Father God, we thank you that we can come to you and know you as our Father. You are the Lord who has made all things. You reign over all the earth. In 2021, as in 701 BC, you have poured out your love on us in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. Father, we pray, teach us to be people of prayer. Teach us to depend on you and to trust in your strength, even in the midst of our weakness. For your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.